everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gen the Libertarian podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. So we have made it through another week in what seems to be the longest year on record, but we have finally made it to December. So happy December, everybody. I hope that everybody is gearing up to celebrate the holiday season, however it is you celebrate it, whether you celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. Boxing Day, whatever it is you do, try to find a little bit of joy and festivity. I know it's not super easy to feel particularly happy and festive right now, but at least try for a little while, especially if you have kids, because this has been a rough year on kids. It's been a rough year on adults. It's been a rough year on everybody, but especially kids. So try to do something a little special, a little festive, just to, to try to end 2020 on a positive, happy, joyful note. But let me go ahead and get into where I have always been starting these episodes, and that is with the unemployment numbers. And I do have a little bit of good news this week. Um, For the week ending on November 28th, unemployment claims dropped to 714 initial unemployment claims, which was a a fairly significant drop. We'd been hovering around the 750,000 mark for a couple of weeks before that. So, It is some positive progress, still extremely high, and I had hoped that by this time, or at least by the end of 2020, we would have gotten this number down to about half a million a week, which is still astronomical, but would definitely be a vast improvement over where we had been throughout the year, and it does not look like that is going to happen. I mean, at this point, I would be happy to get it down into the 600,000s. I mean, I will take what I can get here, but... At least that is a little bit, tiny bit of good news. Um, The numbers for Black Friday have come out and obviously in-store retail dropped dramatically. Um, Online sales did very well. And I imagine, like I've been saying for the past couple of weeks, I, I imagine that's how this holiday season is going to go. Everybody's going to migrate to online. You're not seeing a lot of retail traffic. And what that's going to mean for in-person retail going into 2021, I don't know, because like I've been saying, this is traditionally the time of year when retail stores really make their money, really recoup any losses that they have from the year going into the holiday season. And the same thing with hospitality and tourism and travel. And obviously, a lot of that is not happening this year in various places across the country, so, I mean, I don't know what is going to happen there. Um, at this point, I don't, I, I mean, I still don't see Congress doing anything stimulus-wise before the end of the year. There's been some discussion, but it just, nothing seems to be really sticking. Nobody seems to be able to come to an agreement. The House and the Senate don't seem to be able to see eye, on, eye to eye on anything. So I'm not expecting any help from them anytime in the near future. So it's going to be a rough holiday season for a lot of industries. And I'm just crossing my fingers and hoping that as many businesses can find their way through this as possible. Um, We are seeing a second wave of lockdowns. California went back on effective lockdown. Um, They've banned outdoor dining again, which is ridiculous and stupid. I mean, especially in like LA County and stuff like that, where you can eat outside, like it's not freaking freezing. It's LA. Like you can, it's what, like 70 degrees there right now. You could go eat outside. It's not like New York City where it's cold and nobody wants to eat outside. And then you have to build like 
these sort of basically quasi-indoor facilities that have like tents and heating inside and then basically you're you're indoors at that point honestly there's no difference between being inside the restaurant and being outside in a tent really but in LA and in different places across the country that's not the case you have nicer weather you could put tables outside you can distance and of course there has just been a ton of hypocrisy around that because of people like Gavin Newsom and London Breed and a couple of other people have been popped dining outdoors after they said that you can't do that Or actually, no, Gavin Newsom was caught dining indoors when that was completely banned. (laughs) Oh my God, this is just, it was such a mess. And it's like, you can't expect people to not be angry about this. And you can't expect people to take something seriously if the people making these sorts of really just arbitrary rules take it seriously. Like, it's just... It's ridiculous. I saw, and I'm sure everybody saw the video circulating online of the woman who owns the the bar. And then she was told that she couldn't have outdoor dining after spending all this money making this really cute outdoor eating situation. She had like, like the, the, there was a covering, but the, it was open on all sides. She had like cute little like, like, like picnic bench sort of situations. It was really cute. And She was told that she couldn't do that, but then she shows up to work one day and in the parking lot where her, her bar, her saloon is located, a, a movie filming company, they don't say who, or I'm assuming it's the catering company that is servicing a movie set, set up this massive like dining area (laughs) because apparently it's okay for them to do it. So of course she was very upset and it's, it's totally understandable. I mean, a lot of businesses have spent a lot of money trying to comply with these rules. And it's just like, you can't you can't keep changing the rules. You can't keep asking businesses to adapt to all of this, but you don't compensate them. Like this is, this costs money. Like building an outdoor dining area costs money. Like you have to get the tent, you have to get tables, you like... You can't just move the stuff from the outside, from the inside to the outside. That doesn't work. So anywho, how all that is going to work out, I don't know. But there is a lot of anger right now towards elected officials. Understandably so, especially out in California. There seems, (laughs) if this ends up being the thing that turns California blue or turns it red again, that is going to be hilarious. But Back to the unemployment numbers, at least there was a little bit of good news there because I haven't had a lot of good news to report on that front in the past uh, three weeks to a month. So hopefully, hopefully that maintains, hopefully that number keeps going down. But if we start going back into lockdowns, obviously that's not going to happen, but fingers crossed for everybody. So moving on to the rest of this week's insanity, because there has been plenty of it. Um, Attorney General Bill Barr announced on Monday that the D- the at the DOJ has ended their investigation into any alleged voter irregularity, voter fraud, whatever we're calling it this week, and that they found no no significant evidence of any kind of any kind of voting shenanigans. Let's just put it that way. We'll call them voting shenanigans because the goalposts seem to move on an almost hourly basis as to what exactly we're supposed to be looking for in these lawsuits or what 
we're supposed to be looking for in these states that I, I, you already know how I feel about that. But so, of course, Bill Barr has been kind of on a, a job death watch all week because the last person that did this was Chris Krebs, and he was the head of cybersecurity for DHS. And when he came out and said that DHS has found no evidence of voter shenanigans, he got fired. So we're waiting to see if Bill Barr is going to get fired. And if so, who the hell would even want that job now at this point? Like, who wants to be attorney general right now? He might keep his job just for lack of anybody else wanting it. So... Now, now Bill Barr is part of the deep state conspiracy now, I guess, um, <laughs> along with Brian Kemp and, and and Brad Raffelsberger here in Georgia, who are both Republicans. Apparently, they're part of the deep state coup. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's getting absurd. Well, it's not getting absurd. It's been absurd. But it's just, oh, my Lord. Anywho... <laughs> Yeah, at this point, nobody's producing any kind of evidence in court. I think last I checked was a day or so ago, and the Trump legal team was one for 48. It might be one for 50 by the time you listen to this, but one for 48. Come on now. Come on. And I I don't care what kind of narratives you can put on Twitter. I don't care what kind of videos you can cut to make them look a certain way or what baseless allegations you can make or or how much you want to ignore people who debunk your silly allegations. If it ain't being said in court, I don't care. I'm like, honestly, (laughs) if you have evidence presented in court, 48 court cases lost, 48. Most of them due to lack of evidence. So if anybody has any evidence of voter shenanigans, maybe somebody should present it to Trump's legal team so they can stop losing cases. You think? Maybe? Like, and I know I've discussed this before, but the disconnect between what is actually taking place in courts where what you say has consequences, where you are under oath, where what you say can, like, if you lie to the court, you could go jail. You could. You're under oath. You're saying that you understand your situation. And what is being said outside of court where there are no consequences for what you say and you can lie and you can make up whatever kind of crazy story you want is pretty stark. I mean, like, you want me to believe that in the latest one is this video out of Georgia where people are like, oh my God, they pulled out this whole suitcase of votes. It's like, no, that's what the votes come in. That's the kind of container they come in. No, nobody was kicked out. Nobody was told to leave. The poll watchers who were there decided that because they don't understand the process, that one group of people leaving meant that everything was done for the day. So they followed them out the door because they didn't understand like, oh, no, we're just moving on to the next stage of the process. And then that involves another group of people. Like, it's just it's, it's absurd. But if there was actual, like, video of anything, do you not think somebody in the Trump legal team would have presented that as evidence in a court at some point over the past 49 cases? (laughs) I just, I don't understand. I don't get it. But people want to hold on to this until the bitter end. And I'm just, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. 
But, of course, we will continue on with this, at least not for much longer. We'll get to upcoming events in the next week or so at the end of this podcast because we are coming up to the end of the electoral college process. But let's go ahead and just take this in in order time-wise as I try to do when I do my weekly roundup. So the, the next controversy that popped up this week was Donald Trump deciding to announce via Twitter that unless Congress puts into the NDAA, which is the defense spending bill, a provision to repeal Section 230, he will veto the bill. Now, you may be wondering, what the hell does Section 230 have to do with defense spending? Absolutely fucking nothing. Nothing at all. And to their credit, Congress has basically gone forward, created an NDAA, and has not included a repeal of Section 230. Um, for my Substack, I wrote a very long piece, basically centering around Jim Einhoff wrote an op-ed for the New York Post, ultimately declaring that he would not be including a repeal of Section 230 into the defense spending bill for the obvious reasons that it has nothing to do with defense spending. But prefacing that with a long litany of just misconceptions about Section 230 and what it says and what it's supposed to do. So that is all handled over there on the Substack, jenmonroe.substack.com. And that one is more of like the episodes where I would actually just go through a piece line by line and refute the piece. So that is over there. Like I said, it is a longer read, but it's just, I don't, how people keep reiterating certain inaccuracies about Section 230 is another thing that blows my mind because we've been having this discussion for years at this point. It's a very easy law to read. Anybody can read it. I put the entirety of Section 230 in that Substack post right at the top just so everybody can be on the same page and know exactly what it says. It's right there in the text. Super easy to understand. And I just, oh my God. We're going to have to be arguing about Section 230 for forever and ever and ever because, of course, repealing it is one of those things that does have bipartisan support. Um, obviously, Trump supports it. Not that that really matters at this point anymore uh, outside of him threatening to veto the NDAA, which I doubt. I highly doubt he will actually do that. Because this is not the first time he's pulled this stunt where he said, unless you do this thing, I'm going to veto that bill. And then eventually he signs the bill. Because, I mean, what, he, he's not going to sign a, a military spending bill? Like, okay, cool, fine, don't sign it. <laughs> it won't hurt my feelings any if you don't fund the military. And we get to keep Section 230. That sounds great. So that's how Libertarian Christmas is back on again. But of course he will sign it because, yeah, he's not going to not sign it, especially since it includes pay raises for troops. It includes a bump up in hazard pay. Um, there's a couple of other things in there that are beneficial to military personnel, and I don't see him vetoing that. So, but it was just... Again, it's another one of these things where it's easy to dismiss it because you know it's not going to happen. But, and again, I wrote about this for the Substack too. There does need to be pushback on attempts to do things. Like, this is ridiculous. You're really going to try to hold a defense spending bill hostage to get 
a law repealed that you don't like that has nothing to do with the bill in question. I'm like, really? Really? That needs to be pushed back against this whole, this, this whole legal, I mean, at this point, I don't even know why Trump is doing it. Some days it really just seems like it's for the grift and he has raised hundreds of millions of dollars off of this whole idea that, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to fight the results of the election. We're fighting election fraud. And like I've already discussed, um, 60% of those donations do not go towards that at all. 60% of that actually goes towards his fund for paying off his campaign debts. So yeah, you're basically lying to people to get them to give you money. And so there's that, but then there's also kind of a part of me that I don't know if he's convinced himself of his own bullshit or that he just, he like genuinely seems to some days really believe it. Like he gave some crazy pants rally here in Valdosta yesterday in Georgia where he he managed to completely embrace victimhood culture. He said, oh, look, we're all victims now. I'm a victim. You're a victim. You're a victim. It's like, okay, I never want to hear conservatives complain about victim culture ever again. But then he also put out this like 45-minute speech on Facebook, I believe it is, or maybe it's just up on YouTube, where he's just going on and on and on about these like crazy conspiracy theories. And it's like, I don't know if he genuinely believes this stuff now, like I, I, I don't know if it's all grift. I don't know if he's just trying to save face. I don't know if he genuinely believes this stuff at this point. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where his head's at, but it, it's, yeah, the, the whole idea that we don't have to be worried about this simply because he's not going to be successful, I think sets a very dangerous precedent because it normalizes this sort of behavior as something that you don't have to worry about because it's not going to be successful. One day in the future, that may not be the case. The next person who tries this, who uses this roadmap that Trump is putting forth, might be a little smarter than him, might be a little better at it, and the system might not work as well. So you got to be careful about what you're willing to shrug away and dismiss as something that, well, the, the, the system is taking care of it, so I really don't have to be all that particularly worried or concerned about it. You should be, because it sets up this, this very dangerous idea that what Trump is doing is fine and normal and should be something that is tolerated, even though you know it's not going to be successful. Like that, there needs to be pushback against that. Okay. To move on past that particular rant, though, um, some good yet largely symbolic but still really good news. Um, the House finally did vote on the Moore Act, which is the act of removing marijuana from Schedule One vote to decriminalize it. Um, it had been scheduled, gosh, six weeks ish ago, maybe a little longer than that, for them to vote on it initially, and they passed on doing that vote then because. They were still discussing COVID stimulus and stuff like that. And they felt like, oh, it's not the right time, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, they finally got around to voting on it. And it did pass 228 to 164. Sadly, only five members of the GOP voted yes on this. Matt Gates, who actually is the only GOP co-sponsor on the bill, Matt Gates 
of all people. Um, Denver Wiggleman of Virginia, Don Young of Alaska, Tom McClintock of California, and Brian Mast of Florida, and obviously Matt Gates is from Florida. So, yeah, kind of notable. Um, one independent vote, though. Justin Amash voted yes. <laughs> and yes, they still list him as an independent. Um, somebody had asked the question of somebody... I forget who about what it would take to get libertarian listed as like, you know, when they do like the vote totals and they show it on the screen, you got Democratic, Republican, Independent, what it would take to get libertarian listed in that list. And I believe it's having two or more members of the party being part of the, the voting body for that designation to happen. So, hey, maybe in the future. But back to addressing the GOP non-voters in the House or the people that voted no on it. Um, Yeah, that's sad. (laughs) You you would think you would get more Republican support, but I guess not. And probably the most notable person and the person who's taken the most heat for this on social media is Thomas Massey voting no on the Moore Act. And his reasoning is that he voted no on it because it does set up a uh, sort of a state federal agency to regulate it. Um, there would be a 5% federal tax on marijuana that was sold legally. Um, does not force states to legalize if they do not want to, but it opens the door for them to do it and have federal approval, obviously. And so he voted against it because it would create a new tax and a new government agency and new regulations. Okay. The trade-off was always going to be taxing legal weed. I've written about this before. I'm sure I've spoken about it before. I mean, that that is the carrot that goes before the stick. Like, look, you you legalize this, you get money. You can make a lot of money. This is the argument that plenty of people have made for state legalizations. Like, look, look at this tax revenue you could be getting. Don't you want that? Don't you want in on that? And so, the, but then the trade-off is that weed is legalized. And for me, if the choice is weed still being illegal on the federal level or it being legalized and taxed, I'll take legalized and taxed all day because it's, this has to stop. Like this, this war on drugs has to stop. And if this is where we have to start, I'm okay with that. I mean, we have to stop putting people in cages for nonviolent offenses. We have to stop ruining people's lives over a plant. If this is how it has to happen, then this is how it has to happen. I'm not going to sit here and make great the enemy of good. I'm not going to sit here and stomp my feet and cross my arms and say, unless you do it the exact way I want you to do it, I'm not going to support it. That's fucking ridiculous. That's childish. This is why people look at libertarians like we're a bunch of petulant children who just want what we want. And if we can't get our way, then we just take our ball and go home. This is why. This this is... and, and, And this is... Thankfully, not been a prevalent mentality amongst libertarians, at least not the ones I've seen online. But there have been people who have said, well, no, I'm not going to support this because of those reasons. And I'm just like, it's there's there's things 
that are more important in life than other things. To me, I mean, weed being illegal on the federal level is just, it's, it's immoral. Like you're ruining people's lives. You're dictating what people can and cannot put into their bodies. It's, it's not, it it needs to stop just straight up. And I'm not going to sit here and shoot away the the first chance. This is the first time a, a house in Congress has actually voted on this the first time in history. I'm not going to piss on it because it's not perfect or what I exactly what I want. Like it's finally happening. Like it's finally happening. Like be a part of it happening. My God, please. And part of the bill is that it does lead to expungement of certain crimes or certain like certain things you've been, you know, put in jail for. And there was a couple of other little caveats in there too, but it's like, this is, I mean, this is as good as it's ever gotten. <laughs> this is as close as we've ever gotten. And and for what it's worth, and this is why I called it largely symbolic, is because the Senate is probably not going to take this up. And any bill that does not get taken up by January 6th in the Senate, it's automatically going to have to go back to a revote in the House because you're going to have new House members. So you'd have to do the vote all over again. But the point is that the vote happened and it passed like that on top of all of the other ballot measures that passed in 2020 related to weed, related to drugs in general, related to psychosyllabin, um, Oregon decriminalized everything like this is it, it. the the ball is rolling and it's finally making it up to the federal level and we're finally having Congress vote on this and they voted to approve it. At least the House did. So, like, we got to move the ball. Just move the ball down the field. That's all you got to do at this point. And so, I mean, it gives me hope that, I mean, hopefully soon. I mean, at this point, it's not an if, it's a when. Like, I don't doubt at this point that the federal government will decriminalize marijuana, that they will move it off schedule one And hopefully this is just an indicator that it's going to happen sooner rather than later because it needs to happen. It needs to have happened decades ago. Just, I... (sighs) Damn it, guys. (laughs) Don't ruin this. Don't ruin this, okay? But moving on to some other good news, or at least for some people. Um, DACA is officially back on, reinstated, in its original form, and the Department of Homeland Security has been ordered by the District Court of East New York to, by Monday the 7th, reopen both renewal applications for DACA recipients and applications for first-time entry into the program. This comes after (laughs) the same court and the same judge ruling that Acting Secretary of the DHS, Chad Wolf, had no legal standing to write the memo that basically rescinded DACA in the first place because he was appointed incorrectly. And the appointment in <laughs> the memo was written after the Supreme Court said that the Trump campaign rescinded DACA, or at least attempted to, in an arbitrary and capricious manner and gave no reasonable explanation for doing so. So, just, I mean, it... it 
the fact that, again, this is one of those where you have to be angry at the attempt, even though it wasn't successful. And however you may happen to feel about DACA, I have written about it. I'm not quite sure where it is going to be showing up. That's a little bit in limbo right now, but I will be putting it somewhere. But I mean, this all comes from Congress not doing their job. This all comes from Congress not touching immigration policy and basically leaving it in the hands of the executive branch. And then the executive branch institutes immigration policy. And that has to stop. Congress has to take this power back. Like, if there's anything that we learned from the past four years is that no one man should have control over immigration policy. Like, it has been horrifying, absolutely fucking horrifying over the past four years, what Trump has done with immigration. And Biden, for his part, plans to undo as much as he can, but he plans on doing it himself, which is not correct either. This is not, this is not how this is supposed to work. So hopefully... At some point in the future, we can get comprehensive immigration reform so that dreamers can know what their legal status is on a permanent basis so they don't have to keep going through the seesaw of not knowing what your legal status is. Because it's a little hard to plan your life if you don't know, like, what your legal status is going to be next week. Like, you can't plan on going to school. You can't plan on starting a career. You can't, like, you can't do anything because who knows? Like that kind of uncertainty is just, it's not fair. It's not fair. We need to permanently answer that question once and for all with a law passed by Congress. We need to streamline the pathway to citizenship so that people can figure out what they need to do and at least give more people a pathway to it because it's it's ridiculous right now. Like if you do not do things in a very specific way and in a very specific time frame, there is no path for you. There is no line for you, which is the problem that dreamers have. Like that's if, if your parents didn't do the things that they were supposed to do exactly when they were supposed to do them, you can't fix it. Like they can't get in line. They can't get legal. There's no legal path for them, which is the whole point of the DHS memo and Obama expanding it via executive order. <sighs> yeah, this is it's Congress needs to take back their responsibility over immigration reform. And, and that's the end of that rant, because you've heard me do that one before. And like I said, I did write about it, and I'm just waiting to see where it is going to be published. So to wrap this up, we do have some deadlines coming up. Our election season is coming to an end here very rapidly. Um, on the 8th, that is the deadline for Safe Harbor deadline. Basically, what that means is per U.S. code, by the 8th, states have to have wrapped up all the recounts. All of the legal challenges have to have been resolved. The states have to certify their votes and send those results along to the electors for each state. And then on the 14th will be when the electors vote on the state level. They will go however they're going to gather this year and go formally cast their votes for their state's electoral college votes. And then once that happens, that's it. Like that's, that's pretty much the end of that. Actually, pretty much the end of that is the eighth because that's when you, you have to have your vote certified. You have to have everything wrapped up. And that is, let's see, Tuesday. Yes, it will be Tuesday. So, um, yeah, 
coming up on some hard deadlines here. So you got the 8th, you got the 14th, and then after the 14th, it gets kicked over to Congress, I believe, on the 4th of January, and then that is when they do their vote. And then, obviously, January 20th is the inauguration. So, one way or another, this vote, or this election season, is ending on Tuesday. So, there's that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This has been... Whew, this has been just a long-ass election season. I'll be happy to see it done. <laughs> I've been covering it since the beginning of the Democratic primaries back in, God, December of 2018 is when things really started kicking off. Uh, yes, I'm ready for it to be done. I'm so ready for it to be done. But then, of course, the next one is going to start almost immediately because there are rumors that Donald Trump will announce a 2024 presidential run on Inauguration Day. I don't doubt that he will announce a run, whether it will be serious or just to get more ca campaign money. I don't know. But yeah, there's already rumors of that. Um, GOP candidates are already trying to figure out like, well, what do we do? Is he running? Is he not running? Like, it's already, the 2024 election season is going to start on January 20th of 2021. Damn it. No. Oh, there is no break. It is always election season. Election season for forever and ever. I laugh, but it's not funny. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Like I said, I hope you guys do find some way to be happy and festive for the rest of this month, I, I was looking at the calendar. I can't believe it's like two weeks until Christmas. I was like, oh my God. Yep. And then it'll be New Year's and then it'll be 2021. <laughs> and hopefully 2021 will be much better than 2020. So if you didn't make it this far, thank you for listening as always. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, on my Patreon page, and on my Substack. Take care and until next time.